This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Christian Terbish. Welcome back from the break. I'm Christian Tevis. This is Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio here on SiriusXM. Today we're talking about sports and esports in the first half of the show. I have the pleasure of talking to Adam Davis, Chief Commercial Officer of Harry's Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, thus in charge for, among other things, the Philadelphia 76ers. And we're talking about uh, the old sports and now the esports and uh, Again, as we learned here from our Adam, uh, Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment has made some big bets in there. It's now my great pleasure welcoming my second guest, Andy Din, who is founder and CEO of TSM, an eSport platform with over 18 million followers. Welcome, Andy. Hi. <laughs> nice to meet you. Thanks for having me here. Hey, Andy. You started playing League of Legends at age 16. What did your parents say uh, about your ambitions at that time and uh, the dream of becoming a professional gamer? <laughs> uh, I, I think throughout my whole entire life, living in uh, an Asian household uh, that really cared about education, uh, they, they were really against it, and they, they were really unhappy that I was uh, pursuing to be a professional gamer. Uh, and you know, I think it, it wasn't really until I, um, you know, I found some success playing on stages that they became more and more supportive. I mean, you're way too modest. Uh, some success sounds like you uh, won a local tournament here or there. Uh, tell us about uh, your biggest successor as a player yourself before we talk about uh, the company that you founded. Yeah, I mean, um, I think, um, you know, early in my career, we actually went to a, a lot of events. We traveled around the world playing in Europe, North America. And so it, it's really hard to pin down on really any specific event uh, because we, we were a championship team. I think we won 13 first places uh, at that time over two years. Um, and, and overall, as a player, uh, it, it was really fun. Um, you know, the, the, I, I honestly can't name like a single specific event that I, I really do remember. That was great. I think they were all great. Yeah. How did your life look, life look back then? How many hours per day were you playing, training, spending on travel? Um, I, I, th I think we were probably practicing, you know, 10, 12 hours a day. Um, and um, within those 12 hours, 12-hour uh, period, um, you know, there were break times. We did different uh, types of practicing. So it, it was never, it, you can't really think of it as like, hey, we practiced 12 hours straight, like a normal work day. Uh, it, it was always really fun. But um, in terms of focus, we probably spent 10, 10 to 12 hours, up to 15 hours a day sometimes. And in traveling, we, we traveled once a month to, um, you know, an event somewhere around the globe. And during that time, was it always League of Legends for you, or did you consider other games? Uh, it, it was only League of Legends for me. Um, you know, similar traditional sports, right? You do need to be specialized. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, obviously, there are some athletes out there that can do multiple at the highest level. Um, for, for me specifically, it was League of Legends. I went all in on that. And, you know, I was really fortunate that League of Legends became the most played game in the world. It's interesting, um, right? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 that bet was totally outside your control, right? Your love for that game you made probably because you really liked that game. And if you had put your money on some other game, bad luck, right? Yes. Uh, it was definitely a huge uh, right time, right place type of deal. And, you know, I think that uh, by being good and working hard, I was able to capitalize on that success. 
You then retired from professional playing in 2013 and focused your energy on growing a TSM. Uh, how was the transition? Uh, the transition was really natural because, um, you know, I, I was an entrepreneur uh, even at age 16 and 17, right? Before my gaming career, I started a, a blog uh, and, uh, you know, a, a platform around gaming and content news. And so uh, while I was a player practicing and playing, I was also running that, mm-hmm. uh, uh, running a media business and, you know, running an esports business, which is very similar to a traditional sports business today. And so I, I was doing those two uh, things while being a player. And so, you know, the transition just meant spending more time on uh, the business side of things. Uh, the, the, the most difficult thing was really, uh, you know, not spending the time playing, right? Because, like, it, it was my hobby and my passion. And so that, that was hard in that sense. For listeners not familiar with esports, uh, there's a really great episode on Netflix's documentary Seven Days Out describing the life of Yiyang Peng, also known as Doublelift, uh, who was a hero in the League of Legends community. Um, what I found interesting and intriguing in watching that is the group dy- dynamics among the players on the, fi- on, on the team. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, are you talking about the group dynamics for our team specifically or uh, Doublelift's team? Well, I speak to uh, whatever you're most comfortable about, but uh, unlike uh, some teams, uh, some, some games like, like Madden, for example, where basically one person is controlling the entire team on the field, if you will, I think what is typical for League of Legends is that you, you have five people on a team typically, right? And so that means you're working together as a team just like many other business teams to interact. And with that comes group dynamics and personal feelings and all these things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, uh, ultimately, it's similar to just an individual sport like tennis versus, mm-hmm. you know, like a basketball, which is a, uh, it's a, it's a team-driven sport. And, you know, the group dynamics is really simple uh, in the sense that you, you, you focus on those challenges and you then try to solve them within every single game. And the the interesting about League of Legends and just esports overall is every game is different, right? Like if you look at basketball or football, you know, like you throw the ball and you, you, you know, the ball goes at the, the speed that you throw it, right? Whether it's high or low or fast, that's how the ball goes. For League of Legends, there's a lot more things that you have to really factor in because um, the, the the game publisher who created the game can change the game, the changes of the game and the rules every you know month or so. So being a professional gamer, you have to be really good at learning fast and adapting, right? Because the rules uh, in the game change. There are obviously rules in the game that don't change, but um, you know the, the characters in the game change all the time. And so you have to always you know play and practice to make sure that you understand the game really well. Uh, but on the team side, um, you know, the, the challenges really come down to the player-to-player level. If you're winning, then the team environment is always really strong. <laughs> yeah, right. But, but when, when you're a losing team and things don't go well, there, uh, there are a lot of mental and emotional aspects of, uh, around the job. So when you put together the, 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 the team or you started TSM in 2013, how did that happen? Did you start hiring a coach first and then you recruited athletes? Uh, were you basically you picking the athletes and then hired them a coach afterwards? Or how, how did that play out? So we didn't really bring in a coach until 2013. And then prior to that, we didn't have a coach at all. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I kind of took on that role as being a coach, a player, and a leader in 2009. And then, you know, it, it wasn't until 2013, 2014 when, when we started to 
truly become an esports business. We broaden on a sports psych with you know, years of experience um, in, in traditional sports uh, and just really understanding the competitive environment and aspect of what it means to you know, play at a high level. And then so now, now, to, now I can tell the 19, right, where the president is. We have a sports psych. We have a PA. Uh, we have um, uh, even a League of Legends specific coach. And then we have five analysts, one for each dedicated position. So the ecosystem has really flourished and, and grown and evolved compared to what 2013 was, where we had a single person that did everything. In case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio. I'm your host, Christian Terish, and I'm chatting with Andy Din, who is a founder and CEO of TSM, an eSport platform with over 80 million followers and uh, a very successful player in the game of League of Legends. Um, you mentioned something a moment ago, Andy, that I found really interesting uh, and uh, that resonates with my previous guests from the hockey and the basketball world, the kind of the good old brick and mortar, if you will, basketball and hockey world, which is the role of analytics and data, right? I mean, since you, by definition, are playing a digital product, a, a digital gaming experience, there is tons of data that is just created as a byproduct almost of, of, of the game. How are you using this data to kind of get better at playing? Yeah, so, um, you know, we're, we're already using it in multiple different ways, right? And uh, we're, we're mainly using it to understand macro trends and micro trends of down to the specific player, right? So, like, when we do, like, X component, how does that affect our odds of winning? When a certain event happens, does it increase it heavily or does it decrease it heavily, right? Having all those data points help us understand what to prioritize in practice and in competition. Does that kind of make sense? Like, um, because esports is digitally native, we are able to track every single event down to the second. Like, imagine being able to understand every single player on the field in basketball, knowing like how fast they're breathing, how fast they're running, like what the like percentage of their shot is in every single angle. Uh, esports will get to a point where they are going to have a lot more data on each of their players and also their team than sports will ever have. So it's really very, very interesting, right? That uh, with the wearables, with uh, new technologies where, where chips are implanted in soccer balls or in game parks and hockey, um, there is this effort by the old sports industry to become like you. You already have all that data, right? So, yeah, yeah. So, so for esports specifically, you have all that data. And I think that for traditional sports, with the data that they do have, they are better at using their data to create a performance plan uh, around what they have, right? I think that for us, we're focusing on it now and we're spending a lot of resources mm -hmm. on doing that. But, um, you know, there's two aspects to it, right? There's capturing that data and then using it effectively to train and, and to actually truly enhance performance. Because if you have that data, but you don't really build a strong program around how you're going to use it and how a player is going to learn, then, you know, it's, it's just not going to work, right? So now we're, we're in the phase of application. Talk about TSM as an organization today. Uh, the champions, uh, the championships that you have won, the team that you put together, you already mentioned the coach, the players, the support for the players. Uh, tell us about TSM. Um, yeah, so for, for TSM, we've, you know, we've been a championship team uh, over the last uh, decade. We've gone to the most finals. We've won the most championships in North America. And uh, you know, over the last year or so, we we, we have been uh, struggling in the contention to to make finals. But I, I think that we are really getting to the point uh, again where we can uh, build that championship team to to get back to where we are. 
Uh, we've always been a leader in the space at uh, being uh, and doing the first of uh, practically everything, whether it was the first gaming house or building a uh, true game, uh, building a true gaming facility dedicated to performance. Um, you know, I, th- I think that you know moving forward, uh, our, our true goal is to continue to be a, a global leader in the space. And uh, on the revenue side, can you give us a sense of the t- size of the business, or is this confidential data? Yeah, so I mean, uh, on the side of the business, we're we're close to hitting thirty million in revenue in the, uh, in, in this year specifically, and you know, our goal is to continue uh, steady growth at thirty percent year over year. And is this mostly driven by? I mean, there's uh, League of Legends is famous for fairly significant price money. Is this price money? Is this using broadcasting rights, uh, merchandise? Where, where does the money come from? Um, I mean, speaking generally about it, right? It, it's a combination of uh, everything. Um, we we don't really factor tournament winnings into that uh, revenue pool just because mm-hmm. you know th- th- those are dollars that go directly to the players. Right? Okay, mm-hmm. but, it, but it's a it's a combination of sponsorships, media rights, um, you know, our our, our 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 advertising products and our web platform um, make up a really large chunk of that. Um, but it's 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 a it's a good even mixture of all those. And you have, uh, I mentioned earlier on the number of 80 million followers. Uh, how do they interact with TSM as an organization? What is the experience, the engagement that you provide them? Yeah, so uh, we engage with our, our audience on various different platforms, right? Uh, we, we, we use Twitch for live streaming as they are exclusive partner. But for VOD and just you know week by week um, content, we engage with them on YouTube. And then uh, through photos and you know real time information, right? We use Twitter and Instagram, so we're touching our audience on every single platform at the team level. We also work with our players to make sure that they're also getting personalized content uh, on the player level, right? If you look at our esports players or our personalities, they engage with their audience on digitally way more often than any athlete in this, uh, you know, um, engages with their audience. So our audience. On average, spends close to two hours consuming content on a day-by-day basis. Do you think uh, in the first half of the show I talked with Harrison Blitzer, like again, like a company that manages traditional sports teams, and these guys are getting into esports uh, now increasingly, and they have lots of management experience in the old world. You, however, Andy, you are born digitally as an organization. Do you see that you have an advantage over these kind of the, the incumbents in that industry? Or do you think that these folks have just, again, the management experience and in some cases maybe also the capital that they will have an edge? Yeah, so, I mean, I think from a capital perspective, right, we're really well capitalized, so that's not going to be an issue. Uh, if anything, in terms of cash flow and capitalization, we we have a significant advantage there. Uh, just because they're wealthy, it doesn't necessarily mean mm-hmm. they're willing to spend their, that um, that number of wealth on esports particularly. Uh, but in terms of management experience, I do um, I do see that they're going to have uh, some sort of edge in the sense that, you know, I, I'm an entrepreneur. I've been working in esports for 10 years. And I understand esports really well, but in terms of scale, right, that's going to that's be something I have to hire a strong management team around me to help me with things that I'm weak at. Um, and in terms of just understanding the ecosystem, we have a serious advantage there in terms of understanding how to monetize esports, how to grow, what to focus on, which games to pick, which players to pick. Uh, we have a significant advantage there. And, you know, it's going to take them a long time to invest and in, to learn that. Uh, do I think they'll succeed? Uh, you know, they could succeed because it's going to be an ecosystem where there are going to be multiple winners. 
um, for us, we want to be the ultimate winner and the number one a guy at the top. But, um, you know, I see it as this ecosystem where multiple people can win, and I hope they're, that they're there with us at the end of the day. Talk about what you believe makes esports so appealing to the, the consumers. I mean, again, the, the growth has been explosive both for the industry and, and, and for you at, at, at TSM. Uh, is it the interaction between the players and the fans that is different? You mentioned the two hours of kind of social media time before. Uh, what, 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 what explains this ra rapid growth? Yeah, so uh, what, what I think is games is really inviting and it's, it's honestly the accessibility, right? You can mm -hmm. play from anywhere and you can find a group of friends that just easily play. You don't have to go to a specific field. You don't have to meet at a specific location. You can do that at the comfort of your own home. I mean, you know, people are people around the world are learning English and other languages because of gaming and esports, right? Like, you can be a 10-year-old that, you know, that has cancer or even an illness or is, you know, missing an eye, but you can still compete at the highest level. And so, like, um, it, it has to be accessibility, and there's really no barrier to age mm -hmm. or race or entry or wealth or or, or height, right? Like. You can you be short and you can play esports. I'm really short. And I was a pro player, <laughs> but uh, you know, like I think it's it's honestly accessibility. Um, you know, some there there are going to be some challenges, right? Like making sure that eventually through time, esports is a part of the Olympics. It's a part of the edu uh, like education in the ecosystem. But I I do think that esports will continue to grow because of its connectivity. It's it's easy to play games. It's fun, and uh, on top of that too, uh, once you understand it, it, it it's 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 a social experience and i think that uh it's going to take time for us to build that out but once it gets there it's going to only continue to grow it's quite a and it's quite an exciting vision that you're stating here right a, a, something a communal experience that brings together people around the globe uh, no barriers to access poverty Uh, physical limitations. Everybody can participate. Um, do you do you still think that the mainstream media is somewhat belittling uh, the esports as as being nerdy or geeky? Uh, I mean, I think that that perception was there 10 years ago. I think mm. it's really changed with the introduction of Fortnite. Right? Do you see a 16 year old win three million dollars on stage? <laughs> you know, one of the largest arenas in the world. Um, it's it, it's almost like crazy, right? Do you see? Celebrities like Drake, you know, participating in gaming. All these other celebrities, celebrities are focused on, and I, 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 I think that that perception has really changed. Uh, and if you even look at in China, right, like the high schoolers that are good at gaming, they're, they're the new, like, they're viewed as the new quarterbacks of like um, a, a football team and the captain of the, their team uh, in Asia. And I think that culturally, that's only going to shift as well in the West. Is there is there a gender imbalance between male and female on uh, in esports? Uh. Yeah, uh, of course, right. Like if you look at this industry specifically, I think of it as like interest, right? Like there's a huge gender imbalance because uh, gaming uh, has always been something that males have had a strong interest in. That's why the ecosystem has grown. If you look at like makeup, right? Makeup's a, you know multi multi billion dollar industry as well. Makeup gurus, they generate, you know, large streams of revenue. There's mm. a huge uh, gender difference there. And I think of it as interest. But what's really exciting, though, is that um, it, the, the, the boundaries are definitely uh, opening and growing much larger for females, right? If you look at the average esports audience for females, uh, 10 years ago, it had to be like 97% males, 3% mm. females. Now it's, now it's indexing around 80-20, and it's, it, and it's, on the female side, it's growing. 
So year over year, more and more females are entering the space. And, you know, I think within the next decade, you're going to see a lot of competitive female players that compete at the highest level. So that, that was my next question. So you see the trend from the fan base also coming slowly over into the player base? Yes. Um, now, if you think about, I mean, you mentioned the Olympics earlier on. That is uh, uh, some sometimes a hotly debated um, question. Uh, give us your pitch why, why uh, esports should be part of the next Olympics. Well, I mean, if, if, like, if, if you really look uh, at it, right, it, it, the, the Olympics is a, just a pure form of entertainment, right? If you look at how soccer and basketball or any sport was invented, it was purely because of social re reasons that were that were just good for people. People invented sports for social reasons. It's inter like the, the, the thought of just viewing a sport is purely entertainment. And, you know, esports e is about competition. It's about entertainment. And it has a massive audience, right? And and if you look at esports over in Asia, it's it's already a part of the Asian games. And so through time, naturally, I think that mainstream media people are going to adopt esports. Like if you think about League of Legends competing there, it's no different than competing in terms of basketball. One's just physical, and one that's you know mental. Well, you at TSM. I mean, both, both uh, are oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted you. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think both games are definitely mental, right? But like in eSports, there's a, also a mental and physical component. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well. Now, yeah. you're preparing and shaping this future at TSM. Uh, you're building a 25,000-square-foot training center. Uh, tell us tell us kind of how, how a training center looks like. Yeah, so um, the training center looks like, um, you know, we have multiple different gaming rooms, right, for practice. Uh, we have uh, a gaming review room. Uh, and that, that, that review room is um, actually, um, we're working on that game, uh, game review room with uh, two of our partners, Logitech and Lenovo. And it's centered around data and analytics. And I, I think, as you mentioned earlier, that's going to be the, one of the most important key drivers in terms of how an esports player practice and practices and improves. Uh, we have other areas in the facility, too. We have, um, we have a, a wellness room, uh, which is a gym where our players are going to be there day in and, um, on a daily basis to work out and make sure that they're healthy. Uh, we have a cafeteria for them to eat with chefs to make them the most healthy food to make sure that they can focus and that they're living a healthy lifestyle. And then ov overall, that's, that's, um, that's going to be our facility, right? And then in terms of just sizing and spacing, 25,000 square foot, uh, most of it's going to be dedicated to our pro players. So a new facility, uh, potentially Olympics. I mean, so let's fast forward to your uh, esports in 2030. Uh, what is your vision? How will the world look like uh, if we fast forward for for, for 10 years uh, and and think about the role of esports in our society? I'm not. I definitely don't think that esports will be a part of the 2020 Olympics, but I think within the next 20 years or so, um, maybe like 2030, 2040. Esports would definitely be a part of the Olympics then. Um, I, I'm certain that esports leadership will be bigger than you know most sports or all sports combined at that, that at that stage. Just because if you look at where esports is going, it's 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 having extremely strong growth year over year. Um, you know, people are already growing up now to to be uh, to aim to be a esports player. Uh, in 10 to 20 years, I see esports being a part of every single high school in the U.S. and uh, really like in Asia. Uh, overall, and then also in middle school. So 
um, that's kind of where I see esports heading. Exciting outlook from Andy Din, the founder and CEO of TSM, an esport platform with over 80 million followers. Thank you so much, Andy. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.